Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show. Today we're going to talk about the Kentucky Catholic student versus the media maliciousness about a MAGA hat, a new election law proposed by the Democrats with the acronym LEFT, and the last one is an interview with Rebecca Friedrichs, a plaintiff in a Supreme Court case. Come right back. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to today's first five. Well, by now, probably all of you know about the uproar that started last week at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. on Friday in those steps of Lincoln Memorial. There was a Catholic group that came to this March for Life uh, from the state of Kentucky from a Catholic school, and that group had an interaction with a man who was part there. He was actually a Native American, is a Native American guy. He was there uh, protesting or standing up for his Indigenous Peoples March. The big fuss was that a very small, narrow clip of an interaction between these Covington Catholic students from Kentucky with this gentleman whose name is, I believe, Nathan Phillips, the Native American who was there for this Indigenous Peoples March. There was an interaction where if you looked at just a tiny clip of what happened between them, it looked like this young man, this junior in this Catholic school from Kentucky, Covington Catholic, looked like he was mocking or in some way deriding and berating this Native American. Well, the media went nuts. This young man wearing a red MAGA hat, obviously a pro-life teenager, obviously a Trump-supporting teenager, was made the victim of malicious, just almost indescribable level malice against him simply because he had on this MAGA hat. And the media, I'll just tell you one example of the unbelievable vitriol aimed his way. One was just a Hollywood producer, a famous Hollywood producer, Jack Morrissey, who actually put out on Twitter a graphic video showing a person wearing a Make America Great Again hat being shoved into a wood chipper and blood being spewed out of the wood chipper. He actually called for the death of teenagers who would wear MAGA hats. But it wasn't just as Jack Morrissey. Literally, all of the mainstream media, the people we think provide us the news every day, New York Times, Washington Post, I mean, it was a free-for-all, just a carnival of attack on this young man, on and on and on, just the most, just outrage beyond the ability to form complete sentences disgusted, angry, trying to say, in fact, there were a lot of allegations about, well, you know, this is what happens when the pro-life movement connects with Donald Trump. This MAGA thing is just, just really taints the whole right to life movement. Well, fortunately for truth in this country, a longer video was released. The whole story was released, which showed that actually the Native American guy, Nathan Phillips, was the provoker that these students were standing on the steps of Lincoln Memorial, celebrating their, their, their right to life views, standing up for their belief in the sanctity of life, wearing their MAGA hats because they apparently support President Trump. And the Native American guy who had this, uh, his indigenous people's march was the instigator. He was a provoker. He got in the middle of their group. He got in the middle of their crowd, 
conf- very confrontational. So the little piece that people had seen was just the young kid really responding. And actually much of what the young kid did was just the look on his face, which was dis- described as too smug, angry, you know, not, not impressive, not good. I'm gonna give you three quick takeaways from this story. Number one, the reason the media went so nuts on this young kid, and, and, and not all of them have apologized, by the way. Some have, some haven't. Even his school district, his school apologized for his behavior. The diocese, the Catholic diocese in the area where his Catholic school is, apologized for his behavior. I mean, there was a Twitter mob, hysteric, just hysterical attack on him because of this incident in which he did nothing wrong. So here are my three takeaways. One, this young man was really, the problem that he had was his behavior fit, what they thought was his behavior, fit into the media's narrative. They have made every Trump supporter, every MAGA wearing hat person as a lunatic. They were so excited to have an example to prove that they're right. They didn't even use the minimal level of journalistic integrity and try to figure out what happened. So point number one, the reason it's made them so hysterical is because it fit their narrative and truth was not of interest to all of these mainstream media outlets, especially, by the way, CNN, which, of course, had a field day with it. Uh, you know, and number two is journalism has become so much about get Trump that the there was no actual interest in even finding out about the other guy, this Jack Phillips, who, as it turns out, is a guy who has been touted and celebrated and praised as a Vietnam veteran. And fortunately, somebody did the math looking at his birth date and the years of the war and figured out that that's not even true. He's kind of got a Blumenthal problem. He made up the part about the Vietnam veteran. But number three, ask yourself the level of vitriol and hate spewed at this young high school student. When have you ever heard the media do that? For example, in attacking Islamic terrorists. Do you recall that level of vitriol aimed at the San Bernardino killers, at the Boston Marathon bombers, at the Orlando nightclub shooter? Real, horrific, life-ending violence does not bring out in the mainstream media the level of vitriol and hate that one kid wearing a MAGA hat brought out from them. What they're really telling you is they hate Trump. They hate the, uh, the Trump supporters. They hate conservatism in America. They hate Republicans. They hate the whole notion of people wanting to restore America to greatness. They hate that more than they are ever, and even slightly interested in truth. Should make you have a giant grain of salt on every single story you read related to anyone critic anyone supporting Trump being criticized. Remember this Covington story. Remember what the media will do to an innocent young kid if they think they have a chance to humiliate someone. Huge grain of salt needed. All future stories coming from these news outlets, especially CNN. Last two quick points in this story. One is Covington Catholic is actually closed today due to threats of violence. The left has worked a mass of ignorant Americans into such a fever pitch of outrage that they actually got threats of death about an incident in which the kid had done nothing wrong. But the school, out of a protection of a desire to protect the students, is closed today. And the second one, put a smile on your face, President Trump invited the Covington uh, Catholic school students to the White House. No word yet on if they'll come. I'm Debbie George Jass. That's my first five for today. Stay tuned.
And welcome back again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgias. I'm so glad you've tuned in. There is a new law being proposed in Congress. And in just a minute, I'm going to put up a graphic to show you how insidious this law is. But I first want to tell you my word for the day. I love words. I think words are fun to use. I used to do it on this show years ago when I had a roundtable. My word for today, if we can get Matt, the happy producer, to put it up, is called, is pusillanimous, pusillanimous right there great word it means lacking courage and resolution as in many members of congress have the pusillanimous tendency to fail to stand up for what they say they'll stand up for when they run for office i'm gonna try to use it in our broadcast today but i want to turn to this act it's called this is an act and we have a graphic for this so i want to show you and talk to you about this bill that the american left the democrats this is hr1 meaning it's the very first bill the Democrats have proposed now that they have the majority in the U.S. House. It's called the Left Act. It is a, the the H.R. 1 being the very first House Bill 1 that they have put up. And I want to go through and tell you what is in it. So next graphic, next page two, what is left? It stands for Legalizing Election Fraud Tactics. I'm going to run through what the Democrats are trying to do in Washington to, in my view, this is not an any degree intended to increase election turnout or to make election uh, processes more fair or to make uh, access to the voting booth more fair. This is a pure, straight out, raw attempt to use the electoral process to encourage people to vote who are not citizens, to cheat at elections, and to make it legitimate coming from Washington. So this is it. We're a little bit off in the graphic. I don't think we can move it over there. There we go. Okay, next page. So here's what is actually in this bill, what the left has proposed. Number one, legalized ballot harvesting. They're taking this bill, by the way, from the state of California. California passed some, resolu- passed some laws a few years ago that basically Congress is now proposing to make national and to force it on other states states. But the first one is ballot harvesting. And that simply means it permits union members, party activists, all sorts of potentially biased characters be permitted to go to the homes of voters all around the country and uh, encourage them to get a hold of a mail-in ballot, to to offer to these people that they will deliver their ballots to the registrar, to the voting office the day of elections. So what happened in California is there were five or six seats, longtime seats held by Republicans, where because of this new law, all of a sudden on election day, there was a mass number of votes, a huge number of ballots turned in by vote harvesters, people who go to people's homes and say, here, fill this out. I'll take it in for you. Obviously fraught with, filled with opportunity for cheating. In fact, in California, the uh, the head of the GOP for just one county, Orange County, basically said they found that there were on election day, he thought, somewhere in the range of 200, where is the number right here? I don't have it handy. I'm going to move on if I can't find it quickly. But you know, 250,000, 250,000 mail-in votes dropped off on election day thanks to ballot harvesting. It is an It is a method, a technique that simply permits arm twisting, permits cheating, and it is is, we use in California, those seats I mentioned, that suddenly flipped on election day, even though it appeared the Republicans won, by the time new ballots ended up showing up at the ballot uh, counting offices, there were more Democrats, shockingly, more Democrat votes turned in, turned up by magic. Number two is on this bill. Worse than the part they used to have, which is just 
automatic DMV, you go in and get a driver's license and they just automatically register you to vote. This bill calls, I mean, it's just truly unbelievable. Every person whose name is in a state or federal or county database for services of any kind automatically is registered to vote. So every welfare recipient, state or federal programs in, a, in the database is automatically registered. So you don't even have to make the effort. You don't have to care if you're registered. They just register you. Which then, by the way, once you're registered, you're eligible for the ballot harvesters to, at least in the honest way, come to your home and try to get you to vote a certain way or to just do what has been proven to happen across the country is have ballot harvesters never even letting the ballots reach the home of the people registered pulled out of the mail, filled in by the cheaters, sent back in. Next in this, more on the left, the next uh, slide. It also calls for permitting every county to mail every voter a ballot, even if they didn't ask. So everybody's registered, everybody gets a ballot. And then, you know, if you're registered and you get a ballot and you're really not here legally, just think about this. If you're not here legally, you snuck over the border, you live here, and then you find out you're registered automatically because you get welfare recipient benefits of some kind, and then you get a ballot in the mail, you can hardly blame the person for thinking they're probably allowed to vote. That's what you're, what any normal person would surmise. They are setting up to permit illegal aliens to vote. Next one, same day voter registration. You know, the voter registration happening on election day, obviously no possible opportunity for the voter registrar to figure out if the person registering is a citizen. They're going to register to vote the day of the election. Their vote counts, and you discover at some point later that they really weren't legal. No opportunity to verify their identity, their address, and whether or not they're a citizen. Third one, they also count ballots. This this federal law the left has come up with, this um, legalizing uh, you know elect- election fraud tactics with the Democrats have come up with, counting ballots postmarked or delivered on election day. So you just stick your ballot in the mail on election day several days later. Well, obviously, when you have elections that are close or elections the Democrats really, for every reason, want to win, all sorts of ballots show up later and you got to count them. This is what happened in those counties where it's very unclear if the Republicans really did lose, but the way the votes got tallied by all these nefarious processes, they, they lost their seats. Next page requires early voting for two weeks. Now here where I live in Texas, early voting is the law, but other states don't have it, only have a little bit of it. They have all sorts of reasons when early voting is or is not permitted. That's supposed to be a matter of state law. This would compel from the federal level every state to do this. Also prohibits restrictions on mail-in ballots. Some states will say you can only mail it, do a mail-in ballot, for example, if you're disabled or if you're over a certain age or you have some other reason you can't get out of your house to come and vote. States make their own laws on that because they're trying, hopefully, to for, vote, for ballot integrity, for the integrity of the election process. This new law the Dems want prohibits restrictions on mail-in ballots. It also makes it much harder for states to undertake correcting the voter rolls all the time. We're trying to get you know, people off the voter rolls who moved away, off the voter rolls who, who passed away, off the voter rolls that they shouldn't really have voted because they're not citizens, makes all of that harder. Next slide, this is the same Democrat party that wants all of this kind of essentially dropping of safeguards for, you know, to protect against voter fraud. This is the same party that always opposes picture IDs. You know how we have in, uh, we have a picture ID battle 
every once in a while because we have the um, we have uh, Republicans, conservatives trying to say, shouldn't we have a require a picture ID in order to vote? And we have Democrats always arguing that somehow idiotically arguing that's somehow biased. This there's the same party trying to set up all this voter fraud enablement in this act. They oppose picture ID. They oppose states asking for proof of citizenship to register to vote. They fight about that. They oppose cleaning up the voter rolls. Massive effort President Trump tried to undertake. Democrat-led states would not cooperate in the process to clean up voter rolls. Last slide, please. This is the same Democrat Party that opposes census takers asking if someone is a citizen. This tactic of having the census count people who are citizens as well as people who are not citizens has given California at least five extra U.S. House seats because the number of House seats you get is based on your census data. Five extra House seats, five extra votes in the Electoral College. This bill is an outrage. It is a typical example of the American left working very hard to be sure that they can get illegal voters in, that they, they encourage people to vote who have no right to vote, and this is, they're now trying to take it. What they've done in California, making it almost impossible for a fair election to occur, they're trying to bring it to the national level. I understand we're not at risk today because the House can do this. They can, the Democrats run the House. They can pass this bill. The Senate's not going to go with it. Trump's not going to sign it. But this is a window into the mindset of the American left. Anything goes to win elections. Anything goes, including enabling cheating, setting up cheating, legalizing cheating. And by the way, they didn't really call it, I like my name better, the Left Act, I think is what it really is, legalizing election fraud tactics. It's really called, it is HR number one, it's called one of those typical names Democrats think up that sounds so good and nice, For the People Act. It is for the cheaters, that's who it's for. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is my view on this bill. Stay tuned. And welcome back again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We have a guest joining us by Skype. I hope we have a guest joining us by Skype. We're working on this. This is a woman I actually met at a conference several years ago, and she wrote this book. Uh, I don't know if you can see it if I hold it up like this, but it's called Standing Up to Goliath, Battling State and National Teachers Unions for the Heart and Soul of Our Kids and Country by Rebecca Friedrichs. And I believe we have her on a Skype interview. Hi, Rebecca. Okay, no sound, but... We're working on this. We're going to get sound. I'll tell you while she's waiting, while we're waiting to get sound set up. Rebecca was a plaintiff in a case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And the gist of it was she was a public school teacher and she was arguing in her case that she should not have to pay 
agency fees or dues to the teachers union because they spent that money advocating for political positions that she opposes. She was essentially saying that violates my freedom of speech. I'm being forced essentially to speak with my money by my union dues to take positions I don't agree with. So she took her case all the way to the Supreme Court. Pretty dang cool. I'm going to see, I guess we're working on the sound here, but she's, so she did that. And what happened, unfortunately, was the, um, at the time her case went, they had it argued. And our favorite justice, of course, Anthony Scalia was still around. He supported it and then um, supported her view, it appeared from the arguments. You really don't know. And it, it, what ended up happening, unfortunately, was uh, Justice Scalia passed away uh, during the time the case was pending. So it didn't get resolved that way. But when we get Rebecca sound working, I'm going to ha- tell you that what happened with her case was even though she didn't get to have the victory at the Supreme Court, another similarly situated plaintiff did. The Janus case, which I've talked about in the show many times, J-A-N-U-S, great case. And so we're going to see. And Okay, he's going to try. We're, we're still trying this. That, that, is, that was Rebecca. She's fabulous. hope we can hook up with her. I'll tell you, though, I met her at one conference. I've had her on my show before. She is just an amazing powerhouse of energy. She is determined to make things fair, and her mission is not really just to protect teachers. She does want to protect teachers, but she's also trying to protect students. She talks about the idea how the teachers' union's conduct and behavior actually ends up undermining students, undermines them because teachers' unions force the teachers to teach topics and subjects that they don't even want to teach. The students are it's not healthy and good things that students are being taught. So her book, For Kids and Country, sets out a lot of examples that people really maybe don't know about that happens behind the scenes with teachers' unions, trying to make the argument essentially that, you know, taxpayer dollars pay for public schools, parents, citizens, taxpayers should be on top of the situation, should not be really manipulated and arm-twisted by the teachers' union. So she's on this mission. I'll tell you, one of the things she's doing is we're trying to uh, connect with her. She, um, she has a lot to say, and I don't want to spoil all of her great things she's doing, but one thing that she told me about before I just love, and I've actually I've had her in several different shows. I've been, I've been substitute hosting, too. She's full of ideas. But one was she has a program called Adopt a Teacher, and she's essentially saying teachers need support from families, from community members. They need help. They need parents and families and families in their schools to support them, to stand behind them, to encourage them, to stand up for them, to speak up for them, to be advocates for what the teachers are going through because it's very hard as when you're an individual teacher, if you don't agree with what the union is doing, it's very, very hard to have the, um, the, uh, power as an individual teacher to change anything. But schools, teachers, unions, they have to be thinking that it is not just the, you know, the individual teacher versus the big union, but it's the community, the family, the parents, the kids standing up for the teacher behind the teacher. So she's got an adopt a, uh, adopt a teacher program rolling. Uh, and she also was going to talk to, I don't know if we're going to be able to hook this up or not, but she also wanted to talk a lot about what's happening in Los Angeles. There's a strike right now in Los Angeles, a teacher strike. And, you know, whenever those happen, I know parents and families get upset because, of course, if teachers aren't there, the real teachers aren't there, you know, you may go to school of a substitute teacher. You may have not enough substitute teachers. So you have, you know, 60 kids in a class that should be 20. 
and you lose track of where you were in your curriculum, you lose track of the progress your kid's supposed to make. Parents care a lot about teacher strikes. They don't like them. They want, to, and they are parents, the taxpayers, they're the ones essentially paying the teacher's salary through their taxes and the teacher's union salaries through their taxes. And they feel frustrated about when teachers go on strike. And the argument always seems on the teacher strike issues that as well, it's about pay and teachers don't make enough money and they should be paid more. But actually a lot of what she's arguing about the teachers unions is that the strikes are actually more arm twisted and controlled by the the um, teachers uh, union themselves. It's not really the individual teachers wanting to go on strike. It's the teachers unions arm twisting them. And a lot of times the issues really propelling or causing the strike are not, you know, can the teachers get an extra day of vacation or a little more pay or some other uh, benefit. It's really the unions using their power uh, to arm twist the school districts and say, we're going to send the teachers out. They're not coming to work unless you give us our way. And so this teachers union strike in L.A. has been particularly troublesome for um, for a lot of people, especially for uh, the, the individual teachers who feel more like Rebecca Friedrichs does. And one thing also was in her original case, and I had her in interviews on other shows. So I'll just tell you while we're waiting to see if we can make this work or not today. But, you know, she was a as a teacher in her school district, and I think it was, it was in California for sure, I think it was in LA, but she was talking about, she got elected among her teachers into some position of leadership in the union. She was trying to bring the voice of the teachers to the union meetings, to the, the, uh, the head of the unions, with the teachers unions in California, and she soon discovered her message was not welcome. This stranglehold teachers unions have in many states, it's really as much as a weapon against the school district in terms of working to get benefits and more pay, but it's really a weapon against individual teachers. She was basically told, shut down, stop complaining, do what we tell you, we're in charge. There's a very, as there are in many unions, a very belligerent, intolerant, uh, unwelcoming attitude by the the, the union's head, the, the, the leaders of the union that basically are saying, we're, you know, we don't really care what your teachers think. We got the power and we're going to tell you and please stop telling me what it is you want. And we tell you what, what you will want. So um, she's Rebecca has been a, a great um, spokesman and advocate for teachers. She also wrote an article. I'll tell you that almost everything I talk about on my show, America Can We Talk, I put up at our website, americacanwetalk.org. I put links to it. And what we're going to do, we're just, we're shifting it around. We're nearly ready. This website's been under kind of reconstruction, reorganization. But starting, I believe, in two days, so Thursday of this week, when you go to americacanwetalk.org, at the very top, you know, they have the topics along the top, you can click on podcasts and that little drop down comes up and click on links. That's going to be the easiest way to go read the articles I'm going to tell you about right now. But but Rebecca Friedrichs wrote an article. Um, I first want you to read about what she did because she's been a brave leader. She's taken this case all the way to the Supreme Court. She's been a spokesman for teachers. Um, and she actually is talking about the teachers um, union strike in L.A. She wrote a great a recent article called the, the Teachers Strikes Are About More Money for Teachers Unions, Far Left Politics. 
She actually has has broken down the stuff that's in the teachers' unions, uh, you know, requirements and instructions where teachers end up teaching things, very left-wing ideas, very anti-American ideas, things they just simply can not, would not be acceptable to, um, for most people. Okay, so now we're trying one more time. I believe we have Rebecca live. I hope we do. And Rebecca, hi there. Hi, Rebecca. Can she hear me? Okay, well, she's very pretty. I gave you that much. She's a very pretty lady, very smart lady. She apparently cannot hear us. So I'm just going to keep on telling you about her. But I do want you, by the way, do read the things I'm telling you that she wrote. She wrote about this teacher's union and her most recent article, which I loved, I'm going to put up on our website, americacanwetalk.org, is called The Union's War on Kids. And she's really making the point the teachers' unions are not about trying to help children. You assume they are because teachers help children. Many individual teachers love children, but teachers' unions are about protecting left-wing union power. So this is where we are with, with, uh, the, um, with the situation uh, with uh, teachers' unions. Okay, now let's try. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, Debbie, how are you? Yay, okay. Well, you know what? I'm wonderful and you're wonderful. You know what? We, we had a little bit of trouble getting this rolling. I'm so glad you're on. So, you know, because we only have a little bit of time left in our show today, I'm sad to say, probably like 15 minutes. I wanted to start with you telling our, our listeners, I was just talking about the, um, the whole issue with the unions, the teachers strike in Los Angeles. What's the story about that? What's going on with that? Well, the most recent update that I've read is that they've come to some sort of an agreement and teachers are supposed to return to work on Wednesday. Um, the sad thing is, from what I read, um, well, teachers were asking for a 6.5% raise. The, the district was offering them 6% all along, and um, the unions had these teachers strike in order to put a moratorium on charter schools. So what it's really about is stopping school choice for families and children. They also said they were striking for smaller class sizes and for nurses, counselors, and librarians. And I would like to address that because that all sounds really nice and really good for the kids. But here's how it really works with unions. So the unions worked together with the Obama administration to bring in some very dangerous um, discipline policies. And ever since those policies started, teachers have not been able to discipline children in our classroom. Uh, my last classroom was so littered with discipline problems and nothing was done. I would send children out for terrible behaviors. They'd be back in five or 10 minutes with a note of apology and absolutely no consequences. So what's happened is our classrooms have become war zones. Teachers, I know teachers with PTSD. They're so uh, traumatized from all the behavior problems they're unable to control and that their principals are unable to give them support in controlling. So what happened with these policies is there's all this federal money attached to when your school becomes a war zone, now you can get extra nurses and counselors and things. So these schools are getting more nurses and counselors, more dues paying members is what it's really all about. So these unions are, um, they're not helping our teachers at all. They're not helping the children. They have really good talking points. But when you dig into the reality about what's going on, the problem is unions. 
Okay, you mentioned a second ago that part of this, I, I love that description. You mentioned a moment ago that part of the issue of the, this strike related to the union wanting to prevent charter schools. What is the, how can the school district even answer that? They can't prevent charter schools, but, and what is the reason they want to do that too? Right, well, the reason unions want to stop charter schools is because most charter schools are non-union. So if you're a non-union school, your teachers are not paying dues to the union and the union is not controlling your school. So in California, for a charter school to even exist, that charter school has to get authorization from the local public school and oh. the local public school's union-heavy school board. So um, what the unions could have done here, if they were able to put a moratorium on charter schools, it would have meant that uh, Los Angeles Unified would not be able to authorize any more new charter schools. My husband is the president of a charter school that this year earned the highest scores in the state. It's a, uh, just a third year school and um, their, scores in, their increased scores were the highest in the state. Very proud of that. In the middle of Santa Ana, low income, second language learner children, struggling families, and, and these kids are doing great. Why? There's no union in that school. These teachers have uh, autonomy. They have support from the administration. So if the unions can stop these kind of schools, they can get all those teachers back into schools where they're funding unions. It has everything to do with union dollars, union greed, and union control because they are bringing, as you were talking about earlier in your show, this far left agenda into our schools. Everything coming into our schools that is um, indoctrination is coming through the unions. Rebecca, you know, I held up. I don't know if our listeners will be able to see it, but your book, Standing Up to Goliath, a truly tremendous book. And I'm, I'm going to have to, I, first of all, I'm just so impressed with your, your battling all these issues. So if you're hearing this, if our listeners are hearing everything you're saying, so how can somebody help? This situation, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not a teacher, you're not involved in the unions, how can you help this situation? I am so glad you asked. The best thing people can do is join what I call Adopt-A-Teacher. It's a program I made up. They can go on my website for kidsandcountry.org, click on the first menu item, Adopt-A-Teacher, and they'll see this simple half-page flyer. It takes less than three minutes to read it, and they'll learn how they can Find every single teacher they know and love, particularly teachers in your church. You know, um, the National Education Association did an internal study and discovered that the majority of their teachers are conservative or conservative-leaning. My experience, 75% of the teachers with whom I worked went to church. They were sitting in pews every Sunday, um, or they were Jewish. They were in a synagogue. So find these teachers that you know. Put your arm around them. Here's how you adopt them. You employ the six E's, which you'll see on the website. E number one, embrace them. Be loving. E number two, educate them. Hand them my book, Standing Up to Goliath. It's on audio. It's on um, Kindle. It's, it's in print. It's, it's every form you can dream of. Educate them. They have to read these stories. It's full of dozens of stories of real teachers and, and parents and kids who've been abused by unions, and you will be shocked Teachers have no idea that they're funding all of this stuff. They just don't know. And this book teaches them and, and shows them what kind of money, uh, the um, how much money of their dues is going to far-left causes. So then you enlighten them with that. 
then you empathize with them. I'm really sorry you have to discover that you've been funding the demise of your own profession and the demise of your own country and schools. And then you encourage them and then you empower them. And we teach you how to help those teachers. Every teacher I know likes the local association standing with their friends, but they hate the state and national unions, but they don't know they have the right to kick them out. So we teach them how to do that. And you can stand with them because they'll need courage and they need um, people to stand with them to do it. They're terrified. Okay. Are you saying the local teachers unions have the ability in every district to, to withdraw from the state and the federal level unions? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, but it's not that easy. They can't just withdraw. Unfortunately, the unions made sure that uh, there's a legal connection between the national, the state, and the local. So right now, their local is legally tied to the state and national. So these teachers would have to stand together. They need about 30% to stand together to have a vote. Once they have a vote, then they need to gather 51% of their teachers to stand together and say, we want to decertify these unions. If they can get 51%, they decertify completely, and then they reorganize with a local-only association. And I can't press that heavily enough. Not a local-only union. You don't want a union again. You want to be united under a professional association. Don't let those uh, unions who don't care about you get back in. So an association. And they can do that, and there's attorneys around the country who will help them. And we can help them hook up with those attorneys as well. Rebecca Friedrich says the darn coolest thing. Tell us again, please, your website. It is forkidsandcountry.org. And this is, again, her book, Standing Up for Goliath. Um, this is a fabulous book. I urge you to get it. Read it yourself. Because, you know, we, I know we always talk about this so often, but kids are the future. If the school system is failing us in all the ways that you will read about in this book and all the ways you can read about and you probably have read about, you know, you're really, you're setting America off course. And this is what you're hearing today. What you're really hearing about is an opportunity to help correct course, to help right things. So Rebecca Friedrichs, thank you so much. Sorry about our little trouble connecting, but so thank you for joining me. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Okay, folks, again, I love this lady. I love this book, Rebecca Friedrich's book, Standing Up to Goliath. I want to hit one more quick story, very short story at the end of today, and then we're going to wrap it up, which is this. You may not have heard this story, but the, uh, just today, Charlie Kirk, who is the founder of Turning Point USA, a wonderful organization, Gwen College Campus is helping young people figure out what socialism means, how great America is, putting the lie to the left, he works with Candace Owens, who is the founder of Blexit. She is the one who has been, she's been on my show. She's been all over the country. She's essentially leading the charge, speaking to her fellow black Americans, urging them to think for themselves politically. She's stellar. Tomorrow we'll be talking about Blexit. They had their first rally uh, Sunday, this past Sunday in Los Angeles. Massive success. I'll be telling you some stories from Blexit tomorrow, as along with some other stories, true stories about this, the status of race and the tension in this country. The tomorrow will be a great show on Blexit and Candace Owens. But the story I wanted to mention right now and actually urge all of you to keep them in your prayers. For some reason, Charlie Kirk is in the hospital today, and the report was that he cannot walk. And so I don't know what exactly the problem is, but I do know he sent a tweet out for all of you liberals wishing for my early demise, uh, not happening. I'll be back. But he is apparently quite ill. There's some problem there. And Charlie Kirk is a, you know, he's one of those people who will be looked back, 
back at in American history as someone who stood up and tried to challenge uh, things that were wrong in this country, tried to restore in this precious country a love for America, especially among young people, about people on college campuses, encourage them to understand America's unique, extraordinary greatness and, and what America means in the world. So urge you to pray for Charlie Kirk and uh, give you a report tomorrow if I hear more about that. Uh, and in closing, tomorrow, I can't encourage you enough to tune in to listen to Blexit, that's, uh, to the Blexit report from the big rally they had in Los Angeles. Um, I want to mention also the links, everything we talked about on AmericaCanWeTalk.org. My show, America Can We Talk, is every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, right here at the Real News Communication Network, uh, which is a part of um, Real News PR. You can go to my, if you're watching this in my YouTube channel, America Can We Talk, you can scroll down every old show, interview, they're all there. If you're watching on YouTube, we're newly organizing a channel, it'll be easy to find things and find things to go watch. I, I wanna encourage you to do that. I wanna thank Matt, the producer, who's endlessly helpful to me, um, and also, um, if you're on Facebook, I'd love if you would like that Facebook page, review it, share these segments with your friends. The only way to bring about change is to inform people, to be an activist yourself in your day-to-day -day life. What you read, what you share, be part of keeping this precious country great. I'm Debbie Georgettis. This is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can